Hello, everyone. So funny being in this room, isn't it? It's so weird. Is it just me or is it weird? It's weird. Hands up for weird. Okay, all right. Hands up for I like it. Oh, see, you, you know, when we used to meet in, we used to meet in another school and um, we used to flick between the canteen and the theatre. Do you remember that? The canteen and the theatre. And we nearly had a church split over it. It was, <laughs> it, the opinions were so divided. Um, you often do get that with, with physical spaces, certain things people like. Nevertheless, the word of God remains the same, whichever room we're in. And um, I'm going to read to you from the book of Luke. The words will come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Um, Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read from verse 14. And we're going to read down to and including verse 26. So Luke chapter 11 verses 14 to 26, and we are currently going through a series on the parables in the Gospel of Luke. So we're looking at different stories. Jesus told a parable just means a similarity. So one of Jesus' favourite ways of teaching would be to compare something very normal in everyday life and then make a spiritual point from it. Sometimes it was with the aim of clarifying something. Sometimes it was with the aim of actually um, causing people to scratch their heads and think, what's going on here? And we looked a little bit about that last week, and um, I'm not going to go into that in depth today, other than to say, do not caricature Jesus, whatever you do. He, um, he's always doing something fresh. His character is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet he remains the most unpredictable person um, that has ever lived in the sense of you can't pigeonhole him. You can't box him in. You can't decide who and what he is other than who and what he reveals himself to be. So there's a humility there that, we, that we're faced with as we look at these parables. So let's read together, shall we? Luke 11, verse 14. Now he, that's Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, well, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But... If it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, here's the parable. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Jesus, thank you for your parables, your stories. Thank you for your teaching that has had more influence than any other teaching of anyone that's ever lived, undisputably. And Lord, we, we want to come with a humility in our heart 
And we want to confess in your presence that we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit to help me to speak, to help the listeners really hear what you're saying and to produce good fruit in our lives. So Lord, here we are. We pray, Lord, that your great power and truth and life and light would be, would be advanced in our hearts and lives today. We ask this in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's going to be a slightly shorter sermon today. Uh, let's talk more action. So, um, here's where we're going to go. So, we're looking the context. Remember, when you're looking at a parable, the context is important. You've got to, remember we looked at that last week. Don't just read, read it in isolation. Read what's happening. So, what's happening is Jesus is performing deliverance or exorcism. Jesus is setting people free from the powers of darkness. And it's a particular situation of a man who is mute. And this muteness is caused, in this case... By an evil spirit. Um, that's not saying that all cases of muteness are that, but in this case, that is what is happening. Jesus casts out the evil spirit, and as a result, the man can then speak. Um, it's fascinating the variety of responses that come as a result. Some marvel, understandably. You're with someone who can't speak. Jesus says a word, suddenly they, their, their tongue is loosed and they can speak. It's quite right to marvel in those moments. Others suspect something is amiss. Something dark is going on. Well, he might have cast out a spirit, but what power did he do it? Probably did it by the power of darkness. Others simply aren't satisfied. It's not enough. (laughs) All right, so the mute man spoke. Show us something more. Wow. The point I want to make at the start is is this, is that we as human beings are notoriously um, undiscerning around spiritual things. If you go to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out in power, the watershed moment, the moment the church was born when the Spirit is poured out and there's a a sound of a supernatural rushing wind and tongues of fire separating and resting on individuals and they're speaking in languages they've never learnt before. Wow, glory. Some people look in and say, I think they're drunk. I think they're drunk. Sometimes we think if God really moved in power, everyone would get saved. I don't know if that's true. I think God was moving pretty powerfully in Pentecost. <laughs> some are going, some are untouched. Some are untouched. I mean, that's a challenging thing. Some are looking on the game, yeah. Look like my drunk old uncle. I mean, you think, what? The blindness, the discernment. And I would just want to say, I want to just say, as I've pondered this in preparation this week, I think very often we have a very clear idea in our mind of what it will look like when God moves in power. Careful. Some people were like, well, you know, I'm sure it'll all be really quiet and reverent and no one would say a word because of the holiness of God. That may be so and that wouldn't be a bad thing. But it may be your preference for quietness that is leading you to that conclusion. Others might say, no, I think we'd shake, rattle and roll and we'd be swinging from the rafters. And that may well be the case. But that may also be your preference for that kind of style and approach. Let me say this to you. That sort of thing really does not matter. It is by the by. Someone shakes, rattles and rolls. It is by the by. These things are not the thing to be looked upon or focused upon. What you want to look at is the end result. The mute man spoke. Let's be in awe of Jesus. 
And that can be physical, it can be spiritual as well. Someone who was just bound up with a spirit of fear and could never, full of intimidation in their life, could never really be themselves and speak out loud. Jesus, by his spirit, sets them free from that and they're able to be themselves and speak freely. That's a beautiful, that's a wonderful thing. I don't care if they, I don't care if they did somersaults for half an hour. Irrelevant. Look what happened. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. And we've got to, we've got to grow out of gauging things by how they look in the moment. We've got to grow out of those sorts of caricatures, stylistic caricatures and personal preferences. We're excited about what the Lord is doing. And if we're going to invite the Lord to move among us in power, we're not expecting that he's going to give us a stone. We've asked for a fish. We've asked for something good. He's not going to give us something bad. And so we're going to move, move beyond all of that, mature beyond all that, and say, Lord, what are you doing in that person's life? And not worry about these other things. Amen? So it's important that the Lord helps us to discern that. Now, now, but I particularly want to focus, because Jesus tells the parable about this whole idea of Beelzebul, Beelzebub. Um, you'll find that in different parts of the Bible, the, it's Beelzebul, sometimes Beelzebub. What do these titles mean? Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. It's a nice name, isn't it? And it's essentially this idea that flies gather wherever there's death or wherever there's disease or nastiness. And so it's like Satan as the lord of disease and death. Lord of the flies. Beelzebul means lord of the house. Lord of the manor. Now, these words are used interchangeably and there's some confusion about which should be used. Let me just say both of them fit in this story. <laughs> Jesus is healing people that are diseased, that are one way or another crippled and gripped by various things that are essentially ruining their lives and um, Jesus brings light and life and restoration and healing to those situations um, but probably the most fitting description would be Lord of the house but if we think about the parable that then Jesus tells he responds to this charge that he's doing what he's doing by the power of Satan and he, he makes this point he says listen if a kingdom's divided against itself it can't stand why would why would how 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 would Satan permit evil spirits to cast out evil spirits Satan's kingdom will not last now it's an important lesson there to realise is that Satan does have a kingdom and it does have an order Satan has a kingdom and his kingdom is ordered but it's not ordered by love it's ordered by fear so many of us that have over the last few decades or so watched some of the chaos that has ensued over in the Middle East, various countries, for example, one of them Iraq, and all this is not a political statement, just an observation to make a spiritual point, maybe a little parable within a parable. But over since 2003, obviously, um, the country of Iraq, um, for periods of time, has looked a lot less ordered than it did before under the rule of Saddam Hussein. Under the rule of Saddam Hussein, it was a very ordered country, but it was ordered by fear. So... You know, then that tyrant is taken out of the way and chaos ensues. Jesus is making a, you know, the point that if, if something is going to hold together, it has to be order, even if it's ordered by fear. So Satan's kingdom is ruled by hatred and fear. There's a hierarchy, Satan at the top, then you have principalities and powers and demons and the like. Okay, there's, it's ordered and there's a strategy and the strategy is to destroy and to kind of mess things up and to, and to work against the works of God and to destroy um, those made in the image of God and anything that God is doing. So it's ordered based on fear and hate, but there's an order there. And Jesus says it doesn't make sense. Satan cannot cast out Satan. It's ridiculous. His kingdom would be destroyed if that is what happened. Hallelujah that we're in the kingdom of God. Aren't you relieved? <laughs> Which has order to it, but it's built on righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
It's built on love. It's built on the order that life brings. So I tell you, never, never stop being grateful if you've been saved. Never stop being grateful if you have come into the kingdom of God. If you've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, never stop being grateful for that. That we live in an ordered kingdom, an ordered place in that sense. And it's ruled by God who is love. It's magnificent. It's not disordered chaos, no power vacuum. The father has established his son as king over this kingdom. Jesus rules and Jesus reigns. And the Holy Spirit comes on behalf of the father and the son to work works of power and life. And the angels come to support us believers who are looking to work for God. You see, there's a wonderful order, but it's built on love and righteousness and peace. And so then Jesus makes this comment. He says this. He says, if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That phrase, finger of God, is only used three other times in the Bible. Twice it's used to describe the way the Ten Commandments are written on stone. But the third time is very, very interesting for this particular story today. It's back in Exodus where Moses is looking to lead out the people of Israel. And um, he performs the first sign and wonder, which is he turns the river into blood. But then the magicians and the occultists come and they do the same. And then the second sign is that Moses calls up a mass of frogs and they all come in off the river and they fill everyone's home. And, you know, but then the occult magicians do the same thing. And then, and then Moses and Aaron strike the ground, strike the dust with their staff. And that's, uh, are in, that, in that sense, kind of created in that moment in a supernatural way and they fill the whole place. The occultists and the magicians try and do the same and they can't. And they say, this is the finger of God. And so you see, when Jesus uses phrases like this, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, their mind's going to go back. Here you've got the power of darkness against the power of light. And you've got the power of darkness, they can't do it, they can't do, they can't do this. And they say, it's the finger of God. Jesus is saying, this isn't what Satan does, setting people free from mutinous. This is the finger of God. And if it is the finger of God, then, it's, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is a mark of the kingdom, brothers and sisters, for the finger of God to be moving in power in our lives. It's part of the mark of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The Bible says that the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Sometimes that's dramatic. Boom! Power of God. Sometimes it's like a little bit of yeast hidden in a loaf that no one saw, that by the time that loaf has risen, the whole loaf has been impacted by it. It can be quiet and gradual, can be dramatic, but the power is very, very real. So here's the parable. There's a strong man. Fully armed. God's his own palace. His goods are safe. Who is this? This is Satan. So Jesus is saying, this is how it works. I want you to understand how it works. When you have a strong man, he's fully armed. Guards his own property. He's not letting anyone get to it. It's quite a, quite a forceful picture. He's saying, this is what it's like with the enemy. He's fully armed. He's got deception, trickery, temptation, Okay, it's not, it, he's a strong man. Okay? Do not underestimate the power of the devil. He's a strong man. He's fully armed, armed to the teeth. All kinds of trickery and deception and cunning, we're told. It's not only that, he's got, he knows that within us there is this indwelling sin. Within all of us there is this desire for dark things. Within all of us we can be, our buttons can be pressed and we can find ourselves longing for things that we know are wrong. That is the universal human experience. You can't point the finger, all of us, whether it's, whether it's around control and power or whether it's around deception and trickery or whether it's, just, whether it's around the whole kind of sexual perversion and lust and all of that. Whatever it might be, all of us live 
With, it manifests differently, but it's the same thing. It's indwelling sin. And Satan knows, and he knows that through temptation and trickery and opportunity that he can press those buttons. And then there's the, what the Bible calls the world, which is basically the, the words used to describe the way our world works, which is built on lust and pride. So there's a, he's armed to the teeth. Jesus is saying, don't, don't underestimate this foe. He's armed to the teeth. And then Jesus says this, um, he guards his own palace. Satan does not give up. He's ground lightly. He guards his own palace. His goods are, in quotes, safe. Now, <laughs> they're not safe. But they're safe in the sense that he thinks, I've got it covered. Got it covered. These ones are, yep, yeah, great. Okay, these ones, he guards it. How does he guard? How does he guard who he's got? See, the spoil is people. That's the spoil. The spoil is not... Anything, it's not, it don't have to go kind of out there with it. It's spoilers people, it's, it's human lives. It's that, that's the spoil. That's the great treasure, if you like, of, of creation. And so Satan, he guards, how does he guard it? He guards it by lies, half-truths, sowing little ideas that kind of seem really plausible but lead you to bitterness or lead you to hatred or lead you to isolation. Or they, you think, how did I get here? I believe that little thought. There was some tr- enough truth in it to believe, but look where it's got me. Lies or lusts, just... Just pressing that desire button in you by causing you to see or hear about things or opportunities or someone you know, coming along your path who kind of offers you bright lights and it's oh, and you you go down that road. It's it's it, you know Satan isn't going to come and it, you know it's it's it's, it's like in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And I remember that film, that crazy sixties slightly psychedelic film with the child catcher. Remember the child catcher? It's enough to ruin your childhood that character. But he, he, he obviously, it's, it's, you wouldn't have to guess too long in terms of what he did for a living, uh, was to catch children. But he had this, this, this chariot and it was all dressed up with colour and wonderful things and sweeties and all of that. And, uh, and, when, and when the children fell for it, they would get into this, oh, wonderful, what's it going to be like in here? As soon as they were in, bang, the door would shut and the, 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 the covers would come off and it was this raw iron cage. And there you, there you were. That's how it works. That's how it works. Sweeties or lullabies. Just, just, just keep you spiritually sleepy. Da, 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 everything's all right. It's okay. Just keep you spiritually sleepy. This is what he does in order to just keep what he's got. Keep you comfortable. Life's comfortable now. Life's okay now. See, there's a weird thing. No one wants to have a desperate life, but there's something about when life gets desperate which can lead you to God. You can go, oh Lord, I need you. And, and, and you know, sometimes to have the comfortable life, as good as it is on the surface, it can lead you to a place of total complacency where you're just lulled into this kind of thing and you lose any sense of urgency and you just love the things of this age and you get attached and you, you don't really care about eternal things anymore. You see, little strategies to keep it all safe. Here's the good news, folks. When one stronger than him attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armour in which he trusted and divides the spoil. There is one stronger than Satan. And his name is Jesus. Right? And he comes along and says, I am going to attack you, Satan. And I am going to rob you of the people that you have robbed. And I'm going to take them to myself. And I'm going to distribute, I'm going to distribute among the Father and the Spirit. These are our people. These are our family. Now, this is what Jesus comes to do. Jesus, in, in, in this time, in this moment, he did it through healings and through exorcisms. He still does that now. But the, really the, the, the crux, the moment really where he secured and made clear that absolute victory was, was when he went to the cross, which looked like a defeat. 
to human eyes. It looks like the weakest moment where he submits to death and he submits to betrayal and arrest and he submits to kind of a trumped up charges. And you think, Jesus, do something. And in fact, he says, if I wanted to, I could call 70,000 angels now to come and get me. But he, he, he submits to all of that. Why? Because he knows now is the hour. Now is the moment. This is the plan and purpose of God. And he goes to the cross. And the Bible says, at the cross, he disarmed the rulers and the principalities and the power. You see, it was flipped. Satan's looking on thinking, I've not just got humanity, I've now killed the Son of God. And the whole time not realizing, being totally duped because he's a, he's a, he's a vile power-hungry kind of uh, creature, and he doesn't get spirituality, doesn't get the ways of God, blind to the ways of God. And so God comes as, as, as a man, and all the vulnerability of that, and through perfect, sinless obedience to the will of the Father, the Son lays down his life, and in that moment, pays the debt of sin for humanity. And in that moment, we're told that he nails the debt to the cross and, and the debt is clear. The debt is completely, it's like it's gone, it's clear. Everything that Satan had to hold on to us, well, you've done this and you've done that and so you are rightfully condemned is broken in the moment at the cross. It's broken that moment. It's done, which is why Jesus says, just before he dies, it is finished. It's, I've done it. It is absolutely done. And everyone looking on says, what is this? And the Roman soldier says, surely this is the son of God. And then three days later, he rises from the dead and it's a vindication. It's, 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 the Bible says he's declared to be the son of God with power in the resurrection. It's like, okay, now we, now we see him for who he truly is in all his power, in all his glory. And he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Um, and the Bible says he will stay there until all his enemies, every demon and evil spirit is gathered under his feet and then he will return to the earth and, and, and the new age will begin. But what it means is this, is that now we can be rescued. We can be completely and utterly rescued, not just from the realm of Satan, not just from his kingdom, but once we've been plucked out of there and into the kingdom of Jesus, everything that looks to hang on to us, every bit of the old and bit of darkness, bit by bit, the Holy Spirit looks to, to apply the blood of Jesus there, says we're going to renew that, we're going to restore that, we're going to heal that, we're going to transform that because you've been bought out of that and you're no longer his goods. You now belong to me. This is the parable. This is what Jesus is teaching here. And so we're just going to come in now to just focus on, on the application of this. Then we're going to have some time just praying for one another. Let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to do among us in light of this message. You know, you are now, if you are in Christ, properly safe. Not just safe in the sense, you know, how it looked safe. Oh, you were safe. No, no, no. You are now safe. The Bible says that no one can snatch you out of his hands. The Bible says that nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is done. It is settled. This is the covenant love of God. The blood of Christ settles it. Okay, This isn't you trying to hang on by the skin of your teeth. You are held. You are kept by God. You are his. He is committed to working out his purposes in you. He is committed by covenant to bringing you from one degree of glory to another. This is who he is. This is what he does. And so... The issue is, you have this strange few verses at the end about when a spirit goes out, passes through waterless places, seeking rest, it finds none. I'll go back to my house from which I came. It's the context is exorcism. Someone's been released from a spirit. Um, uh, spirit has nowhere to go. It seems that in, there's some perverse way whereby uh, an evil spirit will find some kind of home in a person. This is reality comes back, finds the, finds the person's house or life, as, as Jesus is here, swept and put in order. 
and say, oh, this, this looks nice. Goes and gets seven worse than itself. Now, what's, what's, what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, it's not enough to get set free from, from dark power and then, and then kind of try to sort your life out. Okay? You need to be inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Because then any, any, any return from your demon, they go, oh, oh, no, I don't think I'll go in there. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit lives there now. And sometimes, you know, people, what they want, they want to be set free and they want to sort their, get a nice life, sort their life out a bit. So they're troubled by something, they get prayer, and then they just try now, I want to just try and sort my life out a bit. That's not the goal. <laughs> it's great that God brings order into our lives, but that's not the goal. The goal is, is that we may become part of the house of God. The goal is, is that we become part of the temple, a living stone in the temple where we are indwelt by his spirit and we know fellowship with him where there's absolutely no space for any darkness anymore. That's the goal. That is the aim. And that is the safest place to live. And so really the application is this. Firstly, if you've never come to know Christ, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, times, the times of ignorance God has overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he's fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus is the assurance from God that Jesus is the one that the Father has established to rule over and judge mankind. It's settled, it's done. The, The resurrection has made that very, very clear and very, very obvious. And in light of that now, God now says, now listen, I have revealed myself to humanity. Where people spend so much time saying, if there is a God, why doesn't he show himself? He has through Jesus Christ. It's done. And so now God no longer overlooks the ignorance because it's no, no, now you know. And God calls us to repent. And to bring your house with all the goods and every room. Okay? You can't hold back the cupboard under the stairs even. All right? You can't, well, I'll bring 90% to God. It doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because if you keep the cupboard under the stairs away from God, guess what it always turns out? It always turns out that it was the cupboard under the stairs where the heart was beating strongest. The area that you want to hold on for you does not work. So it's only as you come and say, Lord, I am all yours. I'm going to actually trust in you. That surrender, that, that, that true surrender to Jesus Christ. That true surrender. I'm, I'm not playing games with you. I'm, you know, this isn't tomfoolery. This, this is spiritual reality. So you haven't got to try and show me your earnest or sincere. This is way bigger than me. This is about dealing with God. And so my appeal to you is that you come to God and you say, Lord, it might be a bit of a mess. And there's stuff here that, and I don't know how to sort that out. But I'm coming as I am. I, I want you to clear me out and make me your house. I tell you, it's faithful. And I tell you, there's so many stories around this room of people that have done that. And God has worked miracles. Absolute miracles. So I just want to appeal to you. Maybe today's the day you say, I want to, give my, I want to seriously make Jesus Lord today. And it means you just lay it all out. Everything comes out in the light. It might be a bit of a pickle to start off with. But he will put it back together in order with him at the centre. And you'll go, I'm glad God did that. And you'll know his presence real close. And those of us that are believers, the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus, give no opportunity to the devil. The context there is he says, don't go to bed angry. Don't, don't hold on to anger and, and, and resentment 
um, and don't give any room to the devil. What you're saying is, is that even as believers, we can, we can hold on to stuff. We can hold on to bitterness, unforgiveness. We can hold on to things. We know I'm in the light, but, and I know this is dark, but I'm just, if I can just, or it's too painful, or it's too hard to really let that go, or you know, if I let that go, I feel like someone's chopped my hand off, you know, and you can hold on to it. But it, it, what the problem is, is that it gives, it gives the devil some room to manoeuvre in your life. It gives him a little landing strip to come in and just try and ruin your fruitfulness and bring torment. And you think, oh Lord, have mercy. So if there's any conscious sin in our lives, we all live with indwelling sin. Of course we do. We need the blood of Jesus on us every hour for stuff we don't even know about. But if there's conscious sin, stuff you know, and it's growing, if there's bitterness, if there's anything that's causing division in the church, that's another thing. We've got to be so, so strong and so careful on this, our relationships with one another, that no bitter root grows up, that no negative conversations are happening that are kind of that you're not speaking to the right person about the thing you're you're going around and speaking and you know, now we got to no I mustn't do that because you can end up having division within something and you think how did this happen it's because we we divided against ourselves we have to guard against all these things and we just got I just want to what I want to do I just was preparing this sermon's done now and uh just felt the Lord say come on let, just let's just have some time just kind of you know, that, that sort of time where we'd say, Lord, here we are. Can we do that together? Just as a response to him. So I'm going to ask the musicians, they could come somewhere there, if they could come and help us. And um, can we stand to our feet? And the Holy Spirit will lead us through this time, okay? The Holy Spirit is governing the whole of our time together. Um, so I'm happy to take responsibility for it, but we're really looking to the Lord. Please don't look to me as some kind of expert. I'm your brother. Okay, but I, I, I do feel we, that you know, we need to just let the Holy Spirit work and, 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 and do some things.